So the moments I've most felt close to God, directing me, valuing me, has been in worship. Alone in my bedroom as a teen, had the amazing opportunity to have parents who were godly, who were passionate for Jesus. And I had an amazing youth group which stirred experience of God that prioritized worship. Worship wasn't just singing songs to God. No, there was an element of actually experiencing the presence of God. And that was bathed into my life from such a young age. And so as a teenager, there would be songs that I would just at night have on my CD player just over and over again I love you Lord and I lift my voice to worship you oh my soul rejoice isn't that beautiful and we take ourselves to that moment of song and that song would be a song that would just stir in my heart and there was another song that would attach with it and I literally had this repetition of glory and repentance in my heart and I know for some of you like that sounds like a strange teenager I don't know it was something that so connected me with God more than what a summer message would ever do more than what mission trips I did it was the simplicity of being with Jesus in my bedroom but then it carried on to conferences that I'd be a part of one of my favorite memories of a gathering together was when I was at Bible College and it was actually a women's conference of 18,000 women in one room all nations and tribes singing unto God and that atmosphere in that space of women glorifying God would just bring you to tears this heart you could feel the the passion in amongst the trial in amongst the pain all of this in amongst all these problems because I know this reality that when I worship God everything changes that when I'm in a difficult scenario, when I'm challenged with leadership decisions, when I don't know what's going on in my life, when I feel lack of purpose, when I worship God, everything comes into vision. Amen. When I get my eyes fixed on Him, everything changes. Everything changes. My favorite moment of having my, my first son, Elijah, as I held him, as I worshipped God with him, and just that moment that the Father spoke to me, you know how much you love your son, I love you more. And in that worship moment, just being wrecked for the parents in the room, you know that you've felt those things. God comes to say, this is who you are. And that's the power of worship. Why? Next slide uh, there, Tyler. Why? Because what we give our attention to changes us. There is a truth that what you give your attention to changes us. Attention is the beginning of worship. What you give your attention to is the beginning of worship because worship is a human thing. Can we get this right today? Worship is a human thing. We give our attention to what makes us feel good, what brings purpose into our life, what makes us whole. Without even realizing it, you give things, your attention, worship, to things that make you feel good. Your TV shows, your food, your restaurant, your friends, your work. You give your attention to it. You give worth ship 
to the things that you value. And we organize our lives around what we value. For better or worse, whether you really love social media or hate it, you form habits around your social media intake, right? When there's a spare moment, when you're standing in a line, go onto social media, in between emails, phone calls, notifications. We have built habits around things that we value. And when we form habits, those habits shape who we become. So if we want to change, we've got to change our attention, which change our habits, which then changes who we are. Does that make sense this morning? So worship is a very human thing. Often we think worship as super religious. So the people who are not in church today, Sunday morning, who believe they've matured, pass the fairy tales of God... God is not real, and so they have an extra uh, lay-in in the Sunday mornings, a lazy get-up. They go for maybe brunch, do some shopping. They do not realize that they, in fact, are worshiping already. They are worshiping because they are giving attention to the things that they want. And so in worship, they actually elevate the natural things to supernatural things. They make idols out of the tages of the world. They bring, they become idols in their lives because without having a focus that is God, we will always, we were born to worship. You and I were born to give value to things. And if we are not valuing God above all things, we will make natural things supernatural. And that makes us disillusioned. In fact, we just hunger for more, more of the, the money, more of the items, more of the influence, and we feel thirsty in our hearts. Maybe this morning for you, you feel like you're thirsty. And the question is, what are you valuing? What is getting your attention? Because you, God says this, God set eternity in your hearts, meaning that you have eternal longings. You have eternal longings that cannot be satisfied by this world. Ever. God is the only one that brings satisfaction. And that's why we worship here on a Sunday. We recognize that you have been worshiping all week. You're like, no, Johnny, I definitely haven't. I know me. Like, this is my first time I'm worshiping here. No, no, you've been worshiping all week. And so when Addie, Abby comes, Addie, Abby, um, your sister, Addie, Abby, Abby comes and tells us, hey, this call of worship, come stand. I know you've been worshiping all week, but regardless of what the media says, what's going on in your life, you're about to refocus your worship to what really matters. And the beautiful thing is, is that we get to do it together, amen? Like we get to, I, you know, as a pastor, it's really joyful when people come through the doors. One, you came back. Thank you. Um, but also that I just love seeing the people that come into this room because each of you has a song. Each of you has a story. Whether you think your song's any good and it sounds really bad, don't matter. Because your song is spiritual, and when it's sung together and we sing to God, there is something powerful that happens in this room. There is nothing like this space. Because if you're not in it, it changes. That's why I encourage you, get a habit of coming to Sunday. Because we say, the first day of the week, which is Sunday, God, I'm giving my first fruits to you. I'm going to turn my attention, regardless of what's going on in my life, and I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to give you my attention. I'm going to obey in this way. 
Worshipping has been happening all week, and I'm going to shift my focus back to him. I love this definition. Go to the next slide. Definition, to worship, this is from William Temple, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. Quicken the conscience, feed the mind, Purge the imagination, open the heart. Notice the head language in there. Notice that we have a battle of our minds. There are things that are going on in your head right this very second. You are fighting for your attention to stay in the room, but also you are fighting truths about how you see God. Next slide. Because we've got to be people to fill our mind with the things of God. Can I invite you into uh, one of the most important questions you should ever think about? Who is God? That is the fundamental, most important question that you should ask yourself every day. Who is God? Because how you form your idea of who God is, is how you see this world. Everything comes back. If you have a, a, a fear of the world, I would argue you have a small view of God. I know, Johnny, I know scripture. I would argue that actually the reality you're living out is diminishing who God is. If you have a, a sense of kind of like performance Christianity, you see God as a performance-orientated God that I always have to measure up to be good enough. If you see God maybe even as a CEO of a business, someone who just runs things, runs the universe, doesn't care about you. Again, what you think about God is the most important thing about you because it drives who you are. If you believe in a big God, you have eternal hope. If you believe in a loving Father who cares about the intricate details, knows the hairs on your heads, knows all things about you, If you believe that God and truly believe it and live it out, you will live differently to this world. That's why worship is so important. Christian worship, where we fill our mind with his goodness, with his truth, that we quicken our conscience to his holiness. Does that make sense this morning? So what we want to do is your worship matters. So next slide. Your worship matters. And so if you want to grab your Bible, we love reading the Bible together. So turn on your Bible, flip open your Bible, share with the Bible. There's some Bibles at the back of the church there as well if you did not bring your Bible. Flip over to John chapter 4. An app recommendation, you version, is a great Bible to have on your phone. So John chapter 4, and this is a well-known story. And before we get into kind of the teaching, I want to set the context for what we're talking about today in worship. Because the question, as I was reading that opening verse that we stood to read together, there was this line that just stuck out to me in my readings this week. You don't know what you worship. Jesus' words to the Samaritan, you don't know what you worship. Yet for me, I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, but you don't know what you worship. There's a battle of 
knowing in this conversation. The context for this interaction between Jesus and a Samaritan is someone um, who doesn't know how to worship. And so Jesus is going to take this woman on a journey of what it means to worship. In verse 1, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, when the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, uh, but only his disciples, which is super important, but that's another discussion. He left uh, Judea and departed away again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. He literally, geographically, the fastest way from Jerusalem to Galilee was through Samaria. But often, the people uh, of Israel would go around because Samaria was not a good place. It was not a good place because they have been at war for hundreds of years. Israel had been conquered previously, and the Assyrians and Babylonians have taken over, and some of the Israelites had been left behind and not taken captive. Those people, over the hundreds of years, did not live the way of Yahweh, and so intermarried with Canaanites, watered down the, the, the gospel of the Old Testament, and began to live different lives. And so the Samaritans were seen less by the Jews, and they were at war of what is good worship. They were seen as dogs, uh, less than. And so this immediate kind of like highlight from John is to say he had to pass through, which should raise our ears as Jewish hearers. Put yourself as Jewish today. And so he came into the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his sons, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied, this is the son of God, fully God, fully man, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about six of hour, so midday super hot. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away the Samaritan woman said to him how is that that you a Jew ask for a drink from me a woman of Samaria for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans so picture this moment a woman coming in the middle of the day it was hot this woman obviously we've perceived from this very bit of information is an outcast from her society because women would go as a social event, would go together as community to the well together in the early hours of the morning. It was the kind of like social connection. It's what you did. You had the men that were working and the women would go out together in community to have their chats, the gossips, what, you know, talk around the, uh, the water pump, whatever at work. This is kind of the deal. Talk around the well together. So these women are gathering around. And so immediately this woman was going in the hottest part of the day because she was an outcast. She was alone. It was hot. And we discover in this conversation that she is desperate and tired. Maybe for you today, you feel like that. Maybe you feel alone. It's hot. It feels like the weight of the world is on you. You're desperate. You're tired. You're an outcast. And Jesus has the audacity in this next line to say, give me a drink. It's the only time in Scripture this word, give me, is used by Jesus. He is speaking to someone who he is at war with. But not only that, a woman. 
Because there is class systems. Women are second class in this patriarchal kind of society. Women are second class. She's a Samaritan and she's an outcast. Three times removed. And Jesus leans into her and says, give me. The Son of God, possibly pulling on the lowest of the lowest on the totem pole, is saying, give me. Give me a drink. That this burden actually reveals worship. It reveals something. She, her response is, you're asking me what I can give you. I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. There is every reason that you don't even know yet. Because in the culture, Jesus being a rabbi, if he had received a drink from this woman, he was deemed unclean by the Levitical law. He was immediately seen unclean. So she's not only saying, I'm not good enough. What are you doing to yourself? You are saying that you want to be unclean because of me? That doesn't make any sense to me. I have nothing to give. And it's easy for us to operate in the same way. What even do I have to give for Jesus? And so the first knowing I want to talk about, just three things in this conversation. Next slide there, Tyler. I know I have lack. I think actually I want to bring to your mind today that you actually worship lack. You have a tendency to worship lack. That when you came in this morning tired, stressed out from getting ready, because for some of you this is the time that actually you get to be in community, because sometimes in your lives, for, for some people in this room, you know, more introverted, it's like, actually, this is my one time where I have to be in community. I have to look good, kind of put myself together. And here I am with all the kids and all that good stuff. And so there's a reality of like, I have nothing to give. I've had a terrible week at work. My boss is super annoying. My family struggles. Johnny, you don't know what's been going on in my week. I have lack. And actually, if that is your worship, your value, that's all you think about, you worship lack. My attention is immediately when I come into this room, I don't have anything. What do I even have to offer you, King Jesus? And Jesus gives these words, if only you knew. If only you knew the gift of God, who is it that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Question of knowing. She is knowing that she is in lack. She does not know the life that is before her. How often do we slip into that? There is living water on hand every single moment because of the Holy Spirit inside of us, yet we worship the lack more than the value that God has placed inside of us. Can I get an amen? Amen. Just to engage in you this morning, come back to the room. Know that we can worship lack more And that you are someone that has, because of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have living water inside of you. We carry on reading because she's not happy about this kind of response. And so she says, Sir, kind of clever answer here, you have nothing to draw the water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our first, our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank it from himself as he did his sons and his livestock. So next slide. I know place and history matters. 
Now, the cool thing about this woman, she actually has kind of a level of devotion. She knows that this place is a holy place. God has done some amazing things in the history. And actually, this is a place where living water is kind of somewhat sustaining her. She comes to this place to be nourished. Even though it's got trauma around it for her because she feels alone, because she's reminded, I'm not good enough, I'm an outcast. At the same time, it is still a place of remembrance for her. Now, the issue I have with this is what God just kind of shared with me. I know place in history matters. And I can get so stuck in a moment. Have you ever had those spiritual encounters and you haven't had one since? You feel the lack in your soul and you're just like doing the rhythms. You remember the seasons of where you felt alive, where you felt like God was so real and tangible. Like there was something inside of you that was so uh, filled up with God and now it's been so long. You can't even remember. And we worship the place, and the history more than the person. We worship the place and the historical moment more than the person. And I love it. Jesus even replies to her, everyone who drinks of this water, this historical place, these history moments are going to be thirsty again. But Jesus, again, invites her from the physical into the spiritual. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water I give to them will become in them a spring of living water. So not only are you going to be satisfied with the living water, you are going to become a well that feeds other people because that's the kingdom of God. It's an abundance. It's an abundance. It's not a lack. It gives more than enough to feed other people. That's what I love about the gospel. The water that I give them will become an inspringing well up in eternal life. And so we need to not let this Sunday experience, don't let Sundays, a place, be the only value of worship you have. If this is the only time that you come to engage with God, Christianity is going to become very dry, very, dry, very dull. And just as encouraged, there is no condemnation. I'm just saying, if you are experiencing a lack, if you only have a place where you can worship God, you are always going to find lack. You can run for a... I'm amazed actually how good God's grace is, right? Because how many of you bring back to memory that encounter where you were just so at peace, so in love, so whole? How long did that last for? That one experience... I mean, God's so good, he can make us run for years without needing another encounter sometimes. But I tell you this, if you just keep on living by that one experience, eventually you'll become disillusioned. You will make theology and you'll try and justify how you feel that God is distant, God isn't good, God isn't real. If you just have worship in a place and historic. Does that make sense this morning? But I love the curiosity of this woman. She doesn't stop there whatsoever. That's interesting. We're going to get to that point in a moment. She doesn't run away. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And this is my favorite moment. I'm sure for all of us the favorite moment. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband to come here. 
This is the prophet. This is the intersection. Jesus isn't playing games anymore. He's not keeping it on a surface level. He's going deep inside, so cutting. But notice and remember, it's about relationship. I think Jesus could have called out anything in her life. But there is a double meaning as to why he called out the woman in her issue with her marriage. The answer, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right. Imagine just a caring Jesus sitting at a well. You are right. I have no husband. For you have five husbands, and the one that you have right now is not really your husband. You told the truth. Kind of almost surprising. The response of the question, and she told the truth. There was a a knowing in that matter. Next slide there. See, I know that I'm thirsty. Now, that's not a bad thing to know that you're thirsty. It's not a bad thing to know that you have need today. But if that's all that you value through the first of influence, wanting to be known, through job, through material things... God, I want you to make me feel good. I love her line. Can you give me this water so I don't ever have to come back here? In other words, so I don't ever have to have need again. Because that's the goal of the American dream, right? For us to be so successful, so wealthy, that we don't need another person. We don't need community. I'm self-sufficient. And so she's actually, even though asking a good general question, she's actually saying, I just want to do it myself. Can I do it so I don't ever have to come back here again? The story before in John chapter 3 was of Nicodemus. And you're meant to read John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 together. Because they are parallels. They're foils to each other. The comparisons of the two are very cool. But the one highlight I want to make, Nicodemus, a leader, religious guy, he was the in guy, came to Jesus at night the most rejected on the scale came in the light. Now the foil being used there of light and darkness is revelation. God is, Jesus is saying, those who are meant to be righteous come at night in the hidden, in the darkness. And they remain there with their questions. This woman becoming fully known lets the light into our heart. We get to the nooks of who she is and she doesn't run away. The picture of the light. She stays in the light. Jesus knows that her deepest longing of thirst is not the physical thirst, but it is the relational thirst. All of us have this. All of us have this deep desire because worship was always meant to connect us. And so when we worship the influence, the home, the items, we value them. That's why you feel so empty because those idols don't reciprocate relationship. The things that you desire do not reciprocate the values that you really want. God is the only one that when you give him glory and honor, that when you give him value, There is a reciprocation that comes back that says, I see you, I know you, I love you. And that worship makes us feel whole. Because this is the point. And this is the line that Jesus... And so we're going to come back to our text and just talk about this for a moment. 
Because after all of that conversation of where and all those good things, go to the next slide there, it's of where and all those good things, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is what true Christian worship is. Spirit truth. These are not two sides of two things. They are wholly one piece. And this is what it means. Spirit, pneuma. Now, it's not a capital S. It's a lowercase s, and that means my spirit. I am made up of mind, body, and spirit. I have an outer, and I have an inner me. And Jesus is saying, there is a worship that we need to have that goes to the inner core of who and you and me are. We need a worship that will connect us, a vulnerability that will open us up to something deeper. If worship only remains surface, what I don't have, my lack... Jesus, you don't have a bucket. We worship on this mountain. If you only ever keep worship surface and you never experience the inner worship of a spirit that connects, we don't truly worship, I would argue. I would argue that we just give lip service to God when actually worship is when your spirit touches the Holy Spirit. True worship is when your spirit touches the living, breathing God. Next slide. Eugene Peterson in the message version just confirms this. I love this. But the time is coming, and in fact, has come, when what you call, what you're called, so what your whole tribe and nation is called, will not matter. And where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that counts before God. Your worship must engage your spirit, the pursuit of truth. This is the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply honest themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself spirit. Those who worship who must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Notice this language. Simply and honestly themselves their very being, their spirits, their true selves. This is worship. Worship that says, I'm giving you all of who I am. The woman at the well was bringing all these like, I know that I have lack, I know that place matters, I know I thirst. And Jesus is like, these are all surface, physical things. I'm inviting you, woman of Samaria, into a deeper inner connection. Go to the next slide. Because worship is this, loving union. This is what true worship. This is why we worship the way we do on Sunday mornings. We worship in this way with spontaneous worship because we want a song that comes out. All of you, let's go back to when we, uh, whether you're married or whether you've had a relationship, the honeymoon period. You were singing a song. You had a spontaneous love that would just exude out of you. And what happened as we began to know each other, as we begin to delve into each other, we become vulnerable. We begin to tell our story of who we are. And what our hope is, is that the other person reciprocates. They tell their story. They become vulnerable. And as we learn to love and we become married, we have this amazing covenant 
that says, and this is the joy that I always joke about in marriage, the greatest joy that you will have in your marriage is that you get to see the worst side of the other person. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Not just the bad breath in the morning. No, 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 no. There's a history. There's baggage. But what we're saying in worship is, in in marriage, we're saying, I love you. And Jesus said, as he sat by the well of the woman, he said this, I love you. I see you. I know you. I love you. I had to go to Samaria for this very most amazing salvation story. Because it is at the center of what worship was always about. If you are lacking in worship today, if you feel like you're not where you're meant to be, can I ask a question? Have you given yourself fully to God? Um, There's this guy with an awesome name, Hans Urs von Bathasser. He is a theologian, right? Just an amazing guy. So his name should warrant something good. But he says this, to lovingly allow the Father's will, full scope of your life. Worship is to say, I'm going to reveal everything. Jesus already knows everything about you. And I think we don't know what we worship. I think, to be honest, we worship very surfacey. And the invitation that Jesus is saying, if we want to follow Jesus, he says, I've come to sit by the well. I know your lack but I am the water. And if you want the living water, you've got to give full scope to me, your full open heart, your full connection to say, God, I'm here, broken. I want to give something to you. Someone who doesn't feel part or doesn't have belonging will never bring their whole heart. Maybe you're not bringing your whole heart to worship because you don't feel like you belong. Because actually there's some things like the woman at the well that you don't like about yourself. There are things that are hindering you and God wants to remove them. I love that Jesus confronts our sin. Jesus doesn't leave your sin alone. He says, I want to confront your sin because you're worshiping things that are lesser than me. You're worshiping things that are lesser than me and I want to remove, I want to purify because the only satisfaction, eternal living water that you will find is in me. I don't need you to be perfect before you come into this room. I need you to bring your whole heart today. That is what worship is, loving union. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe like other relationships have. He is in it and he will not leave you. Even when you walk away, he is right there ready to receive you again. Even though we hit the button on the phone to say, I don't want to speak to you. Even though we do, he always is there. And so just... We're going to hop just a couple of sides. If you can just go to the four points there. Just four quick points here about what we're doing. I just want to invite the worship team up as we close today. Because we want to actually work this out today. And as we practically do this, how are you making space in your life? Sunday is great. But as I said, worship and connection with God will become very dull and dry if you don't make space. Where are the moments where you need to look at your well, 
that maybe is dry, has no living water in it? Where can you begin to make space intentionally every day? Can I tell you something? Can I tell you just a little secret? You can worship God before you come here. You can worship God. In fact, you don't need to wait to experience God by the end of the worship set. From the very offset, you can worship. The reason why that, uh, that women's conference was so powerful is because I guarantee that room was ready to worship. They weren't messing around. 18,000 women with that Asian. I often, testosterone is really good, but have you ever seen a women's conference, estrogen trying to get their chair? I, I was an usher in that room. I opened the door, boom, straight through, and I was literally knocked over. These women, all the grace went out the window. That's my chair, da 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 Anyway, but the passion was there because they desired, they wanted to make space. If you're going to be spending eternity with God, wouldn't you want to start getting to know Him now? Wouldn't you want to start making space? And I know you know this, but I'm here just to reorientate you and say maybe you've not been making space. Cultivate gratitude. I love this. Cultivate gratitude. I love Jesus' invitation that says, come give me a drink. Do you know the best way to, even before you go to an examination of your heart, Start thanking God and you'll realize, oh, I don't have anything to give thanks for. Then you can maybe skip the step and go and invite an examination. God, where do I not trust you? Where's the brokenness going on inside of me? Where am I lacking today? Gratitude is not only a really good refocus, but actually it's a really good invitation of examination. So cultivate like Abby wonderfully does today. Every day, everything you wake up, because gratitude does this for us. It realigns us to who the source is in your life. Sauce, sorry. Source. That's the little, little British that will get a little confusing right there. But gratitude realigns the source. What's another good word for source? The sauce. The so- he's not the secret source, but he's the source. He could be a secret source as well. But gratitude realigns and says, I know that I'm not God of my life. I know that all things that have been given to me are from him, for me, to be used by him, and he is taking care of them. So gratitude. But then invite the examination. Why did I stop giving thanks? What was it in my soul today that was not good? And so some questions. Where does my attention go when I'm just sitting? Where does your attention go? Does it go onto the needs of the day? Does it go onto the wants and desires? Where does your thoughts go when you just simply stop? Is fear your worship? We talked about rumination. We are really good at ruminating. We are sheep and cows that ruminate on foods. But I bet fear is probably the main thing that we think and worship. And so maybe for us there is examination. What is the first thought of your day what is the last thought of your day examine where you are and let Jesus in Jesus what is my five husbands what is it for me that I've tried to worship I've thought that this would bring me value and it hasn't what is it within me and then sing a song to him I know some of you in your car journeys, 
turn the volume up when you're by yourself, blast K-Love or whatever that your, your jam is. And you sing a song to him. Because what happened to the woman? She met Jesus. She worshipped him. She made space. She was examined. And out of that place, gratitude, songs of delight came forth. She was the first evangelist. The least of the least was given a new song to sing. I think there's something that we need to. That's why we come together and we worship is because we need to activate our bodies today. We need to activate and say in faith today. And so maybe I don't know where your situation is. We sing these songs today. Let's stand. As we sing these songs today, I, I want to believe, and just reload the lights just as we go into a time of worship together. Let's just take a moment to make space. So let's again, come back. Close eyes, hearts. God, I want to make space right now. God, the warm-up was really good. But now, I want you to remember your salvation. I love this phrase I heard this week. Have you gotten over your salvation? Have you gotten over the most amazing gospel-filled grace that Jesus met you like the woman of Samaria? She met you. He met you at the well, at your brokenness. He saw you for all you were and said, I have come for you. Do you believe that truth about you, that God has come for you, that it is not just some haphazard moment that you are here today, but God loves you and has a plan and a purpose for you, that no matter what you face today, God is going to overcome it. Amen. And so our song is not a song of desperation of need. It's an awakening of the thirst and the living water that we have inside of us because of Jesus. That as we realign our vision of worship to Him, as we get our eyes transfixed onto Him, that living water flows. And so before you even bring your need to Jesus today, can we give Him water today? Can we give Him worship today? Because in that we will realign our hearts. Because the greatest witness in our lives is a people that actually enjoy God. Can you imagine a church that actually enjoyed God? with joy and laughter not solemn yes God okay onwards like what kind of spirituality is that to the world if we have the most joyful God who made the whole universe who made joy who made love yet we do not live into joy if God is not the most joyful thing about us again this is not condemnation but I'm saying you're thirsty because your attention is on the wrong thing today. You think you know what you're worshipping and you don't. You don't know what you're worshipping. But Jesus says that's okay because here I am. Come worship me with body, with mind. And so let's just put our hands out before him this morning.